What's up, guys, and uh, welcome to yet another episode of Spill Your Mind. Um, you know, we've, we're coming back to back with these episodes without a break. And uh, for today's episode, I've gotten a special guest. His name is Mohit Rai. And um, to, to bring a little context and introduction uh, to the guest, he's an architectural designer uh, who's been uh, in the field of uh, design for more than eight years right now. And uh, he's also a fellow content creator like me, who's also interested in uh, figuring out the entire YouTube scene, doing stand-up comedy and things of that sort. So uh, thank you, Mohit, for coming on today's podcast. And uh, before we start, yeah, before, before we start off the podcast, is there anything you want to let the audience know about yourself? Something that I didn't mention. Yeah. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm Mohit. I'm happy to be here. And uh, it's a little fun to always meet cool people on the internet. So, you know, uh, thanks, Steve, for, you know, giving me this awesome opportunity. And, uh, you know, this is like a YouTube collab right now. We are like two YouTubers, you know, hanging out, you know, talking about YouTube stuff. So this is something yeah. for, for the future to, for the future people to look into. Right, right. Never in, never in a million years did I think I would collaborate as a YouTuber with another YouTuber. But yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Life takes strange ways. So this is uh, one such path. But okay, so let's get into today's uh, conversation. I think we have a lot to discuss. So many interesting pathways that we could go in this conversation. Uh, but like I mentioned, uh, Mohit is a fellow YouTube creator. And uh, he's doing this uh, thing where he's doing 1000 videos. All right, he's just trying to post 1000 new videos every single day. And uh, this is an interesting venture. And not something that I've come across uh, on YouTube personally. I've seen a thousand days of different challenges, uh, but a thousand days of YouTube videos straight is not something that I've come across. So I'm interested. Why are you doing this? And uh, why? what is your main reason of starting YouTube in general? Uh, well, to start with, I think it's a stupid idea. I think it is such a stupid idea. It's almost genius. Right. So, so like I've been trying to uh, post YouTube videos since a long time. Um, I wish I did start doing this in college because now I understood that what was really stopping me was that I was worried people would judge me and I would stop, you know, uh, exp in expressing uh, myself. So what I had in mind was that I want to get my YouTube thing started and uh, the problem that I am trying to solve is that I am a procrastinating and procrastinating a lot for coming up with videos in my mind, my ideal YouTube uh, video would have like amazing uh, script, like an amazing write up where I would like read the script and uh, you know, it'll be a, like a really well thought out essay and I'll have an awesome thumbnail. It'll have a cool title and it'll have like multiple graphics and animations and uh, amazing editing and whatnot. All of these things are super, you know, I find all of this far too tedious. I tried editing once and it took me a whole damn day and I, I was so fed up. And then I thought, uh, I'll, like, you know, I'll just keep YouTube thing aside for a while. I'll see if I can post once a month or something. But then what I did was um, in Instagram, there's this uh, movement called the Inktober. Have you heard of Inktober? No. Okay. Inktober is basically uh, uh, like you take... Uh, any ink uh, based instrument like a pen and you make like art based on a prompt uh, which you know an artist uh, puts up on his thing so a friend of mine suggested this i started doing this on october 1st 2019 
I did it and finished the whole challenge of Inktober. I made sure that I posted a, a like art on a daily basis. But then something happened that I didn't actually stop. You know, after the challenge ended, I you know picked up the pen again and you know it grew into something big. Like I started like getting watercolors. I I hated watercolors back then. Uh, you know when I was in school, when the teachers would force you to like uh, do watercolors or else. So I, I didn't hit, like it then. But now I'm like open to you know doing watercolors. I got myself a graphics tablet if you see it, which you know. And I started making digital art. So then I thought, you know, uh, this has worked for me. I've been uh, officially from December 14th to today. I have gone up to two 275 days. Like it's like been a non-stop, uh, you know, art process, like on a daily basis. And I thought, you know, how far would this go? So I thought, I'll just put a number on it. For a thousand days, I'll do digital art. And uh, my current estimate is that by September. Ninth, twenty twenty three. I reached one thousand uh, digital, you know. I mean, artworks, basically illustrations. So I went for that. Then I thought, why don't I apply this to YouTube? Because my logic uh, for Instagram was that I'd make like uh, basically I'd make crappy uh, art. Basically, I just wanted to ruin people's day. <laughs> like, uh, no, not really. But I just wanted to like make sure I was annoying my friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like with youtube right i i didn't think anybody would watch it i it's it, like every time i posted like a really good edited video and i would see zero views i thought you know nobody's watching this so like i'm basically talking to myself so why not just uh, start posting videos every day see what happens and this is a crazy thing actually like um, yesterday i was just looking at my analytics and uh, the past month right the month previous to uh, this i had only posted one video some editing or what not then i restarted this uh, you know uh, daily video challenge thing i think the the video that you were talking about the stand up comedy i just said you know what i'm going to start posting videos every day about stand up comedy and then i didn't know anything then after a while in the beginning of august <laughs> i started again and uh, i found okay my my statistics of youtube analytics the view the view count it has increased uh, 523% <laughs> it's like just shot up like this. Yeah, yeah. So, so I it's like uh, if I take a screenshot of that and put it somewhere, it'll be like, oh, people would consider like that's a crazy success rate. But um, you know, um, I don't know. I have thirty-one subscribers so far, which one of them is you. So thanks. Um, and I have like uh, the rest of them are all my cousins and my mom, dad, and my family members. So, so I understand like. Uh, uh, for 31 videos, 31 subscribers is not a bad deal, I think. And uh, I made a video called "How to Apply Design Thinking to YouTube," um, you know, your YouTube channel. So if I if I think about it in a design thinking sense, uh, so the design thinking what I'm talking about is uh, it was developed by the Stanford uh, Design School. So it's called human centric design. So like I have that book with me. Like I just I just keep this book. This is like my Bible. you know so this is the design of everyday things by don norman uh, i hope you can see it so um basically there are like five steps one is idea generation uh sorry four steps idea generation observation prototyping and testing so i have simplified it into concept case study and prototyping so i have a concept my video is going to be about research based um essay video essays basically and number 2 uh, the case study that i looked into was people like uh, dr jordan peterson like uh, I, i i really admire that uh, his his content like his youtube channel 
and uh, you know uh, i admired sam harris and uh, there is one other channel called uh, wise guy these are the case studies that i wish to follow but uh, what i found was that uh, one thing is jordan peterson is a phenomenal speaker sam harris is somebody who's like uh, has he's, he's a neuroscientist so he has like a lot of credibility behind him and wise crack has like this great editing they have a great team they have good animation which none of these i have at the moment so i thought why not just uh, you know uh, try developing this and document the process like i watched a video about gary venerchuk that if you don't have the skills that you wish to have in the future why don't you start documenting of you finding them out so this is my prototype basically each time i publish a video it's like a version 0.00 uh, whatever uh, of my final product and so there is a there is a mathematical uh, joke that if you take uh, a 1000 monkeys and put them in a room and give them typewriters and give it infinite amount of time then the likelihood of uh, one of the monkeys writing shakespeare using that typewriter like you will get get an answer so similarly like what are the odds of me putting a thousand videos and one of my videos being such something profound right something like work that works so so i'm just basically uh, throwing uh, stuff to the wall and see if something sticks so that's my strategy so far if you're not embarrassed by your first product you have shipped too late so i'm shipping early so let's see you know how, what the future holds right so th- this is literally my next question but uh, i mean i guess most of what you said was more uh, quantity over quality right this is the initial strategy yeah. where you're just pumping out content and see what sticks now right. uh, yesterday i i was watching another podcast and uh, the guy in the podcast was telling you know there are so many good artists out there like for example boban or any of your favorite artists you take them and uh, you see the art that they're creating is very they're creating very minimal art in the sense that they're not pumping content like other uh, artists like let's say kevin hart or dwayne the rock johnson things like that uh, but and they focus a lot on quality as such and uh, the the guy in the podcast went on to say you know as artists uh, is where artists are in a, in a very weird dilemma because right now because everything is commercialized and we need quantity at scale in order to reach the algorithm and again in order to reach the uh, audience we are forced to compromise on the art that we build in order to let's say get a better audience so uh, i they got me thinking because uh, it because look logically speaking as a mathematical equation if you're taking this into a huge statistic problem obviously qu- uh, quantity over quality is the best strategy to go over. but as a creator uh, it, it doesn't seem like the best strategy because you're pushing out just garbage hoping something that hoping something sticks right so uh, i want to know what you think about it do you think that artists are forced to compromise on their art because it's so commercialized or uh, what do you think about it Hey, that's actually a very uh, insightful question. Huh? That's a full-packed question. So, uh, very fascinating. So, 
um, even I had this same doubts uh, that you know what is the point of me putting garbage on YouTube every day, right? Like I'm posting a lot of content, a lot of data is going out there. Um, so, but but then I'm coming from a context where um, I'm coming from a context where this this kind of stuff is abundant, right? I, I mean I get it. Like there's abundant content on YouTube, and uh, like. Let me start from the context that I have uh, set up, and then I will move on to the cre uh, the creator's dilemma, like what you're saying about Bo Burnham and uh, Rock, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. And did you mention somebody else? I think you mentioned yeah, an, a Kevin third Hart. Artist. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Okay. Uh, so right. So um, firstly, the context uh, I picked up was that I read this book uh, called uh, "Singularity Is Near" by Ray Kurzweil. I highly recommend it. I think uh, you know many should read that book. Uh, Who cares about technology? So in that, this man he was talking about how um, how technology is going to improve so much that uh, we'll be able to bring uh, back people from the dead. Okay, like he had this crazy idea. It sounds out there, all right. Like he wanted to uh, like bring use medical technology and stuff to replicate uh, human beings uh, of the past. And one way of him doing that was he had the records of his father, right? Like his father used to have records of his journals, his records of his invoices, and all of that in a warehouse. So I thought, oh, okay, like if an artificial intelligence can take this data, like it can take all the idiosyncrasies of a person, and um, you know, we'll be able to uh, come up with the simulation of uh, Ray Kurzweil's father, right? So it got to me to think that. Uh, if considering that you know in a context if you take it in that context and if you take it in a context that each human being would be unique then not everybody is posting data on youtube not everybody is posting stuff on instagram not everybody is doing it on facebook so i thought me doing it is like i a part of me is always will be on uh, youtube so it's like instead of looking at it as if you know there's an abundance of uh, you know content and what will i add to the content like i'll be just a drop in the ocean Instead, I went like real macro. That, like, uh, we have such a huge solar system. There are like what um, eight planets. Uh, yeah, eight planets. And like, I'm, I'm like one guy. Like, like you, you won't find another human being in any of those planets. So we became like so rare, uh, like relative to the universe, right? Because there is no, no. As of now, there are no beings like us. So, uh, so far as we have discovered. So that that's like a you know a philosophy or a mindset thing. You take it like. You know, take it or leave it. That's that's how I think about it. But at the same time, this is a good question: Are artists being forced to compromise on their art for the likes of businesses, for for the sake of commercializing their uh, uh, art? So, so uh, for that, just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. For that, what I would say is, uh, what I would say to that is, um, I, I think, I think. Um, Uh, do you listen to Tool, by the way? Do you listen to uh, rock music? Okay, there's this there's this band called Tool, and they have this song called uh, uh, "Hooker with a you know uh, like uh, you know." Uh, can I say uh, can I swear in this video? Yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. Yeah. Oh, okay, like YouTube, right? Okay, "Hooker with a you know P N I S" basically. So uh, that's the name of the song, and the song's lyric is uh, brilliant. Like in the song, uh, Menard, the lead singer, he finds out that. Uh, one of the fans had called him a sellout so his whole song is about roasting that fan saying that i sold my soul before you were even born and so just go and buy my record 
and and I, I love that I love that line. Uh, like, of course, like being uh, like the the market seems the market looks right. It, uh, it it is forcing you to do something, but at the same time, you gotta see it in a flip side that the market a you get to uh, put your product on the market and you can find the kind of person who would uh, how would I put it who would uh, resonate with your product basically. So I have no idea who my who my target customer is. I don't know. I'm prototyping my product at the same time. I'm putting it out there on YouTube. I still get like three views or two views per, per video. I have no idea who they are, who those people are. They don't even comment. But the videos, the algorithm of YouTube, uh, let's consider the algorithm of YouTube as, as a market. It seems to be sending my product to the right people because of uh, however that AI system works. I understand that an artist uh, seem, feels like, you know, he is sacrificing his artistic capabilities in order to uh, appease the you know uh, commercial but i think we need to cut that uh, cut that problem into two and see that your commercial thing is separate and see that your art thing is separate like you know because uh, at the moment right uh, to be honest with the community a little bit like to be brutally honest uh, a creative pursuit is a high risk high reward um, venture so like, it's almost like you're an entrepreneur, like uh, uh, personality wise, uh, temperament, temperament, temperament wise, an artist is no different from an entrepreneur. So you are taking a risk every time you make art. So every time I put up art on Instagram, every time I uh, put up uh, YouTube uh, videos, every time I put up uh, essay on Medium, and every time I put post animation, whatever anim rudimentary animation skills that I have on Twitter, uh, I have, the, the likelihood of that reaching the top page is nil. Okay, it's very low. So what is the best strategy to read the, reach the top of the page? It is the best strategy as far as I know is overproduce and cull. So if you notice uh, Kevin Hart, Bo Burnham, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, you don't think that they have come up with shit, uh, you know, uh, garbage products like uh, I did. So look at Bo Burnham, right? All of his stuff, it seems so uh, pristine, right? Everything seems to have been well thought out. The new Bo Burnham inside was phenomenal. I love the lighting. Uh, love what you had worked with. Very minimal. Kevin Hart's uh, comedy. Like, Kevin Hart was in, like, uh, garbage movies before. Like, we don't think about that anymore. We forgot about that. Rock had, like, a weird, stupid haircut. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love the Rock. <laughs> he had, like, a really bad haircut. He was in the WWE. He did all kinds of dumb, dumb shit. Nobody, uh, you know, remembers that. M MKBHD, uh, the Marquis uh, Brownlee, like his YouTube channel. You, have you seen some of his uh, YouTube's um, videos in the back in, uh, in the past? Have you yeah. seen Mr. Beast's uh, YouTube videos in the past? They are just yeah. basically Call of Duty multiplayer maps and he talks stuff uh, over it. And uh, uh, what I would say uh, to an artist who's, uh, uh, okay, like here, here's some tough love for you artists, all right? See, if you start giving me excuses that the market doesn't want your art, that's bullshit. The market needs your art. It, you're just, you just need to like put it out there, start putting it out there. Like um, more and more people are coming into the uh, internet, uh, they'll find you. So it, like it's, but you gotta start first. It's like, it's like you're asking the wood to give you heat before you even start the fire. So you gotta start putting the wood first, you know, so. Right, right. Uh, so I, I mean, hope that makes uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a hard uh, not to crack 
but uh, again like you said it's a perspective thing and sure. uh, yeah it's a perspective thing right so if you're again if you're creator in the market you can either be a pessimist or an optimist either either view uh, mindset is totally fine but in order to be uh, i guess recognized by the system which is a capitalistic system you ought to be optimistic than pessimistic so yeah so that's actually a good point most of the people who uh, are uh, conducive with the capitalist system they seem to be optimists and they you know most of them who criticize the capitalist system in fact even bo burnham he seems a bit uh, pessimistic to me he, he, the the content that he pulls out especially that puppet the sock puppet thing it was full of marxist ideology so yeah. i don't know like uh, up to you right 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 so i mean uh, now uh, i was going through your youtube channel and if anyone like i'll leave the link uh, in the description below and anyone i i hey, suggest thanks, you yeah i'd suggest you guys go and check it out for yourself uh, but there was one particular video which caught my attention and uh, you kept saying that uh, you wanted to pursue uh, stand up comedy and uh, yeah 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 this is something that i was also thinking about a while back but i never got to it i i'll be honest i never got to it because i was just too scared of what other people might say or i was just critiquing my own uh, material like i was like this is not good enough like i'm not i'm going to get bored of stage uh, so i never i knew i never pursued it but i was interested yeah. now that you're interested in doing it uh why do you think we need comedy especially in india and okay. uh, why yeah, do you, what question. do you think yeah. what do you think of the comedy scenes in india basically hey, that's that's pretty good a good segue to the you know uh, next thing um, basically uh, i had um, i wanted to be a stand up comedian since i was in college in manipal there were a lot of open mics there the culture in manipal when i when i went to architecture school it, it was like a lot of these uh, you know talented people and i wanted to be one of them and um, uh like my father i find him like super funny so i thought you know some of the genes should have rubbed off on me or as like what is the point of genetics so uh like i had uh, you know most of like i was good in presentations so i thought that maybe like presenting in front of the class right like we in in architecture we had a lot of juries juries in the sense you take whatever uh, portfolio that you have made of your design and you have to present it to a uh, like a board of uh, architects mm-hmm. so so i thought uh, i would be good in public speaking and you know i thought stand up comedy public speaking presentation skills they would all come together and uh, the issue was uh, in stand up comedy and comedy in general uh, you are not it is a taboo for you to steal jokes so you can steal a meme from the internet come to your friends and you know say it out loud it's all great like you know friends will love you you know you can get a laugh move on but that's a no no in uh, stand up comedy you got to come up with your own material and if you don't right like uh, in fact uh, uh, you can sell jokes uh, jerry seinfeld and uh, this is comedian called judy carter uh, like uh, she's not i i'm i'm like actually pretty sad that she's not well known but she wrote a book called the comedy bible she wrote this back in the 80s and in 2018 she wrote it uh, one once more like a new edition the new comedy bible so if you are pursuing in uh, stand up comedy right i highly recommend it and uh, there are like several other comedy books that you know they talk about how you can come up with your own material so here again right um, even i was like from the mindset that you know there is like there's not much things to laugh about you know uh, i was like you know the world seems to be uh, how do i put it uh, 
So five five years in architecture school made me believe that the world was ending, and we had to do all that we can to do uh, like environmentally friendly stuff. Okay, like we had to make sure that none of the resources are going to waste, and that we are using eco uh, ecologically friendly products and whatnot. Uh, and uh, but then that's the thing you can make fun of the climate change, you can make fun of the weather like turning in on you, and like I started to think creatively basically. So. That's the issue, right? Like you don't know whether, you know, actually like this is actually a risk of, uh, you know, me speaking with anybody. Like how do I know that whatever comes out of my mouth wouldn't offend the other person or, you know, wouldn't land on the other person. Like a lot of the, uh, you know, uh, embarrassing moments that I had is like making like an inopportune joke uh, in front of a person when I did not read the room. <laughs> like like they, sometimes people who don't just get the joke and uh, there have been times where uh, uh, like, some people who, who I think are a bit, take life too seriously, like they take a joke, uh, like, and they have a grudge on you for making that joke because you made a joke at their expense. So, yeah. so uh, you know, I try not to do that anymore because it, it's been a bad habit I'm trying to break. Uh, but uh, uh, like the best thing you can do as a stand-up comedian is to do more open mics. So when I, was, when I was interning in Bangalore, I wanted to get into open mics or improv to like you know develop my stand-up uh, comedy and uh, stuff but then uh, i was uh, i had to move between uh, bangalore and hyderabad for architectural projects and uh, i had kept my uh, stand-up comedy thing aside uh, you know just trying to see like what i could do and uh, more than stand-up comedy what was my main priority was writing like writing essays so uh, you know write a blog and uh, uh, like like Jordan Peterson says that if you can think and communicate in writing, then you would be a phenomenal speaker. Like, you know, you can yeah. speak, you know, you'll be unstoppable. So uh, that was my main priority in the beginning. And I thought comedy would just, you know, come on the way as I go along. Got it. Um, so when, when I'm speaking to you, right, when I said that the YouTube thing, uh, I was going to make one joke per day. I remember, I think that was a video. It was like yeah. a one joke per day. I'll be like talking, and, and I took some random joke from Reddit and try to like uh, you know speak it out. But you know uh, after that, I, I you know put it aside. Um, so uh, this streaming thing, uh, putting up YouTube streams on a daily basis, it's as if I'm coming to a comedy club and I'm doing open mic. I'm probably bombing on stage, right? Nobody is coming to like see if this guy is good or not. So I'm just you know getting the practice of looking at the camera and uh, you know like making making some jokes. And, you know, then I can get to review some of my videos and see where I can improve it. So it's a, there's a constant stage of prototyping, testing, reviewing, uh, idea generation, new concept again, and round and round it goes. So okay. if you are getting your stand-up comedy, right, I think you're in the right place, dude. Like uh, uh, YouTube is it. And uh, whatever you're doing right now, I just wanted to scale it up. You just got to bring those numbers up. And I think, you know, you would be there. I, I, I really do see that. And uh, regarding the comedy scene in India, um, it, it looks just like Manipal actually. In Manipal, you had all these seniors going out there, you know, uh, making it uh, look cool. They had their, had their own gang of people like Kanan Gill, Abish, uh, Abish Matthew, yeah, Abish Matthew, uh, yeah, Kenny Sebastian. They all seem like seniors to me, like uh, seniors in the sense, like, you know, uh, a bit older than me, not like old people or elder people. Like, but they, they have their own gang and they have their own uh, way of, you know, putting up jokes and, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, I think this is it. Like, uh, the future of uh, Indian comedy is evolving a little bit. Like, we like we are still, like, trying to replicate what the Western audience is uh, doing. Like, Jerry Seinfeld type of content. But uh, Jerry Seinfeld kind of comedy, actually. 
and now like slowly we are like evolving our own kind of uh, you know humor so it'd be very interesting to see what we come up with next because do i you feel think, your generation yeah do you uh, think the indian audience uh, is ready for the type of content or the type of comedy oh yeah 100% oh, 100% think? man 100% i i i wholeheartedly believe it okay that could be my capitalistic optimistic you know privileged uh, kind of upbringing that's making me say this but uh, i i wholeheartedly do believe so because look uh, you are you are 20 years old right 2021 yeah. uh, so you'd be born in what 2000 the year 2000 right 2001 i was 2001. 20 years old yeah. yeah so so when you were 7 years old the iphone i the first iphone came out so and and uh, i'm sure that you you, uh, you like when did you have your first facebook account when you were like 12 yeah somewhere around that time <laughs> yeah look you grew up with the internet man like uh, we guys um, i was born in 1995 uh, people born from 1990 to 1995 we had tv we had like cartoon network and we had toon disney and all that stuff and you know our uh, thing was like you know a bit narrow but with internet it of course it uh, went out and and uh, like i think the content that we seeing from uh, the ne- new generation like the millennials like technically i'm a millennial too but uh, uh, like it it's actually so far ahead like if you see some of the youtube amateur stuff right amateur comedy stuff it's so good like it's incredible like you know people are not uh, using it and when i go watch netflix i am like bored out of my mind like you know it's all the same rehashed uh, things maybe bo burnham is a bit ahead because he came from youtube but yeah. I, i to be frank bo burnham doesn't catch my attention so much like it is uh, uh, like i feel like you know he's uh, you know he's just like this good looking guy who's like able to like sell tickets so okay. i'm sorry bo like but you know he yeah like yeah. that's my honest opinion all right all right perfect no somewhere throughout this entire conversation of while discussing comedy you had mentioned that right. you know uh, you know that you're in i mean every com- comic uh, actually is indulging in the process of comic while also risking the element of offending someone now yeah, uh, yeah. there are a lot of comics especially in the west itself you have like big comics like bill burr and uh, so many other just uh, anthony jason like so many other uh, comics, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. where their their main pursuit is to offend someone that's their form of comedy yeah. right their their comedy yeah. is rage their comedy is offensive mm-hmm. and things of that sort so uh, do you think this pursuit is somehow justified because at the end of the day i see especially now this is a new form comic uh, not new form comic but pretty recent comic of the days is uh, anthony shulls and uh, okay. uh yeah anthony shaw and uh, i find his com- stand up comic stand up comedy actually disgusting but the guy okay. is uh, the guy is very good like in the ter- in he has a por- podcast okay. of his own he ha- he does yeah. like uh, like normal oh, other wait things wait a second is this the guy who <clears throat> sorry is this the guy who sits in a bean bean bag in his uh, 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 podcast like it no, has a blue background a- Yeah, I think okay. so. I think so. Yeah, he has like a yeah, I think so. Uh and there's I another Indian, Indian, uh, an okay, Indian guy is a co-host. Right. Okay, okay. I I'll, I'll check this uh, like Andrew Schulz you said, what? Uh, uh, Andrew Schulz. Yeah. Andrew Schulz, yeah. 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 And so, and uh, uh, you just like what about him do you find disgusting exactly? Right, right. So, uh yeah, I'll tell you. So, uh like i said, and uh, Andrew Schulz is a very good person in the sense like he has good uh presence he's a very charismatic person but when okay, it comes to right. his uh, comic a comedy uh, his pursuit is uh, 
the basic stuff the basic russell peter jokes where where the stereotyping uh, uh yeah. you know just picking on people and obviously this yeah. is a type of comedy but this is his mm-hmm. only aim in in a sense i feel like so at some point i was watching his comic and i'm like what's the end game like where is the humor are you building your own material or are you always having a material at the expense of someone else so in this sense and and obviously comics uh, they always get away by saying free speech you know i have the i have the uh, they they pull out the free speech card they're like i can say anything your i mean yeah, as yeah. much as you have the right to be offended i have the right to say everything so at sometimes yeah. i feel like yeah i feel like they use the card too much to the point where it's not really uh, justifiable anymore so my question is at what point do you draw the line as a comic do you think there should be a line existing or uh, do you think that's not necessary at all hey this is actually a really good uh, you know i've been thinking about this uh, myself so um, there there were times where uh, like uh, i was uh, you know using like so uh, in corporate settings right there, there is a decorum that you have to have like you like you can talk to people when you're brainstorming or you can talk openly uh, but uh, like th- there are times where uh, you know some words like uh, you know oh i screwed up and uh, some like like i didn't realize that you know screwing up was actually a word that was looked down upon in the corporate uh, uh, you know sector so i was like told you know maybe like you know put the put the profanity down a little bit and uh, you know speak because i i felt that you know even i was in the same logic that hey free speech i can like say whatever i want i can swear whenever i want like sort of like gary vaynerchuk right like gary vaynerchuk unapologetic about his uh, swearing and everything so uh, then i realized that uh, you know uh, like of course in in whatever uh, corporate kind of settings maybe uh, i i shall follow the rules because uh that's because everybody is following the rules it's a different uh, space altogether but at the same time uh will smith uh when he he actually started out as a rapper right and uh, i have actually dabbled a little bit in rapping too <laughs> like uh like you know we can like just forget i said that so will smith um, <laughs> why uh, is that though <laughs> like like i i i was going to say something but then i thought okay it's not relevant to the you know uh, conversation okay, okay. sorry like uh, I'll, I'll, I'll if you want i'll speak to about it later but right yeah. now like my point was uh um will smith uh, was when he was started rapping most of his uh, words were like filled with profanity because this was the you know golden age of rap 90s yeah. right tupac and uh, uh biggie you know uh, so uh like notorious big yeah that's what's like yeah oh man I, I, i just forgot so uh like they used like a lot of profanity they used to talk about what the real thing was happening and when will smith started rapping like that apparently his grandmother called him over and said hey like you know don't don't be profane right don't use those words so will smith out of the respect for his grandmother like he came up with songs uh, without using any cuss words no profanity and you you can notice in his uh, uh, in his bars as in the the lines okay like in rap the bars are the you know the music lyrics so uh, like how they rhyme and how how intelligent he has made it of course he's like not like uh he may not be the best uh but but there were like some real thought put into it so that kind of a constraint for your free speech it it actually makes you a better uh, you know artist and um, there's an interesting uh, book about it called adapt by tim hartford i i recommend it because in that even he talks about how musicians and artists come up with new stuff when they have to when they have to freestyle basically you know when they have to uh, work with constraints 
So when, when you consider Andrew uh, Schultz, uh, Schultz, 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 sorry, yeah. Schultz. So I think I've seen this guy, and I know what you're talking about. You know, Russell Peters seems to be somebody who um, who makes fun of uh, other people's accents. He makes fun of other people's skin color, like uh, about their culture and all that. But uh, in this recent podcast, I found that uh, people line up to be you know made fun of, uh, like to him, like. Uh, well, incidentally, Jordan Peterson and uh, Russell Peters had a podcast. So I don't know how, like, you know, the uh, uh, you know the pessimistic uh, anti-capitalist people would view that. But uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, Jordan Peterson asked him, like, how come you get away with like making uh, fun of other people and make jokes in their expense? And you know, uh, Russell found said, like, uh, you know, like they want to see that side of themselves. So. He's like the jester, okay? Like he can say anything to the king, and the king won't kill him. So the yeah. king won't like execute him. So, uh, so when you when you talk about free speech, right? I would like to point out that um, in in like a, in like a place or a country, uh, when people start going after the comedians, uh, like because comedians are always on the edge, they always find the truth and they bring it out. So. So they like that's why we give them, you know, the responsibility and the freedom of free speech. And uh, when we start bringing them, you know, uh, covering it up, then you know there would be a problem uh, because then we won't like we won't even be aware of you know the how do I put it the where uh, where the you know authoritarians are coming to like take like I'm sounding like a libertarian now, but like you get my picture, right? Like I'm trying to say that. Comedians are like the uh, people who are like moral detectives, sort of. Right. Like they they find out the stuff in the uh, nook and cranny. But at the same time, just because you have like the freedom of free speech, doesn't give you the right to uh, like use it, uh, you know, uh, without discipline, right? Like right. if you don't like Andrew Schlur, uh, Andrew, uh, that comedian, uh, it's okay. Like you'll find some other comedian who would uh, be your thing but something about andrew like attracts you enough to like keep watching him so it's like yeah. a bitter uh, sweet uh, and thing going on with him and uh, i had something else to say but you know i have spoken long enough so you know wh- what do you think about that i mean uh, i'm look it's it's again it seems like a dilemma but i think uh, the scale of content out there gives the whoever watching gives them the choice of to click away versus to watch or not uh, right. I feel like obviously free speech. Again, this this was such a uh, I guess twenty eighteen debate whether free speech is okay. uh, uh, needed or not. Obviously, it's needed. I'm I'm yeah, pro free outdated, speech. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, when it comes to comedians, definitely they need it as uh, for their craft. Now uh, I've come to realize that using the free speech card when you're living on a day to day basis doesn't uh, seem very beneficial to the individual person now let me let me tell you uh, i'll give you an example maybe so uh, let's say uh, and and this is partly me as well i probably be speaking from experiences uh, actually sure. but uh, maybe a few years back uh, i was a rebel okay a hardcore rebel much more than i am right now and i am partly right, rebel on, right now as well yeah <laughs> So uh, I yeah so back back uh, when I was maybe two three years back, I didn't care what other people thought, uh, and I used to say things that just brutally offended them, and I didn't care about their feelings. Uh, my my favorite 
Ben Shapiro was like on my top list oh. back then. And uh, Ben Shapiro has a saying where facts don't care about your feelings. Right? Facts don't care about your feelings. Right, right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that is beautiful. So, uh, yeah. in that sense, I, that that was my motto, right? Like, I, I was the fact guy. I always used to refute other people. I didn't care what they thought. And I used to cuss them out. I used to make fun of them. I, I had my free speech. That's all I told them, right? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, when I came to India and uh, I, I noticed that it doesn't really help you as an individual. Because Where were you before as, India? Oh, I was in uh, UA. So I did all my okay. uh, sco- yeah, schooling. I was born and brought up in UA. So I came and to... Nice. Dubai, huh? Not Dubai. I was uh, in another ML called Fujairah. But it's like an okay, hour, cool, cool. hour and a half from Dubai. Yeah, nice, so, nice. Uh, yeah, so when I came to India, I noticed that, dude, this this uh, i guess system of approaching people is just definitely not going to work obviously uh, it doesn't make sense to brute, i mean blatantly disrespect people because people just go away mm-hmm. from you but uh, mm-hmm. let's say it comes to a minute decision where uh, people are saying like hey don't say this this hurts my feelings right uh, and and if you say no i don't care about your feelings it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a friendship or a bond that you're just burning away for the sake of your free speech and after right. that after after the particular conversation you have to have with the person your free speech is not helping you in any way as such uh, as supposed to if you had that friendship with that person you don't know where that could lead you or you don't know what that friendship or that bond could blossom into so uh, right. in that sense i guess to the individual person to the i mean average joe uh, as much as you have the right to speak freely I don't think you should exercise it to extreme extents and you should obviously read social cues and social circumstances and try to uh, gel and make feel make people feel as comfortable as possible until you're in a position where you can't can, cannot anymore so when you're pushed to an extent where you just have to say the truth and you just cannot uh, resist um, sugarcoating things I guess you'll just have to uh, say things but I guess on a day-to-day basis, I've grown to realize that uh, speaking freely and brutally without having any senses is uh, not like a ra- not a good approach uh, to the average job. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess another thing that you uh, talk about and you've mentioned about uh, the book uh, at the beginning of the podcast as well is about design, and uh, yeah. you've been you've been uh, an architect uh, by profession. Now right. uh, there is a huge trend in the whole design game, especially uh, not not only in India but all across the world. Uh, oh, and yeah. it seems it seems weird because uh, design back in the days just used to be drawings by artists on Instagram, yeah. just abstract art and things like that. But yeah. now corporations are hiring designers to again mm. design their products, design whatever they're selling, yeah. and things like that. So why do you think? Why do you think, uh, I guess, the world is uh, somehow uh, recognizing the need for design? What is the relevance of design in the modern world? So, um, when you start with the design that before it was just considering, like, you know, drawing stuff and, you know, making things good looking and all that. We, you're looking at the, pers- you know, from the perspective that design is only aesthetics. So, there's actually a distinction uh, between, uh, you know, design and what aesthetics is. Like, of course, like, uh, 
you know, I could make this, you know, my background aesthetics. I could, uh, you know, maybe put a different color and make sure the lighting is good enough that it, you know, uh, my face is shown and stuff like that. But that, you know, uh, that is separate from design thinking, what you're talking about, you know, uh, with uh, corporates and stuff. So uh, there is something, you know, uh, something connected with how uh, the economy has evolved in the, when, when this, you know, when we turned into this century from the nineties into 2000s, there was a fundamental shift that uh, people started to see uh, things not just as a utilitarian way because uh, in, in architecture, right? For the uh, five years I was there, like this, they just put this one thing uh, in your head, like form follows function, like form follows function. So it was, uh, my God, I've grown old, man. I forgot the architect who said form follows function, but I used to remember it all the time. Uh, you know what? Like, uh, I'll, I'll, it's actually kind of disappointing. So I'll, I'll find out that guy later. But, uh, uh, you know, form follows function is good. because. But at the same time, it could be better, right? Like, I, I have come from the perspective, the more that I've explored, is that when, uh, when you only focus on function, and when you only focus on utilitarianism, that, you know, uh, it's like you're looking into the world in a very materialistic way. Um, so why I say that is because corporates, right, they uh, keep claiming that they're hyper-efficient, right? They make sure that their bottom line is secure. And the bottom line to be secure, you need to cut your expenses. You need to see where the money is going and make sure the money is not going to the stuff where, uh, you know, you're not getting a positive return of investment. But uh, if you see all the profitable uh, like companies, and I would like to talk about Apple now, because Apple is not a technology company. It's a design company. Like it's, it's like something that was put in our heads again and again uh, by all these entrepreneurs that Apple is not in competition with anybody. Apple is not in competition with Google, even though it seems like it. Apple doesn't seem to be in competition with Microsoft, even though it seems like it. Microsoft and Google, they are in competition. They keep competing with like, you know, oh, like you got a Surface Book, I got a Chromebook. Oh, you got like a Lumia, I got like, a, you know, Google phone and stuff like that. So, but Apple is like on a league of its own. They spent so much uh, funds on building their campus the, uh, the Apple Cupertino, it was built by the architect Norman Foster. Like Steve, excuse me, Steve Jobs um, personally oversaw the design of the handles, handlebars of the offices. And uh, like, like it's, it's like the attention, like people call it attention to detail and stuff. But then uh, design thinking, you know, is like, it's more than attention to detail, like attention to detail, you're missing the point. Like that's just the content. You got to look at the content talk context. All right. Like I keep saying context. So when you look from a macro view, when you look at what the mission of uh, your uh, product or service is, and you apply design thinking into it, it's like you take an evolutionary process. So, um, Matt Ridley, uh, he's a evolutionary biologist and he's a journalist, a phenomenal book called how innovation works. And uh, in that book, he talks about how you take two ideas. Basically, what is innovation, right? Like, can you like tell me what innovation is? I guess, uh, I guess taking a pre-existing system and uh, revamping it to become more efficient. 
okay there you go like taking a previous system and revamping it to become a better system right but then how do you how do you take a previous system and uh, what do you revamp like what do you add to it to make it revamp like you take something else so you take something different and add it to something revamp it make it more efficient you get something new so uh, like for matt ridley whose background is in genetics and evolutionary biology like uh, he talks about how uh, genes right your your dna like your dna you get 50% from your father 50% from your from your mother and when both of these genes uh, like inter intertwine there is a genetic variance which makes sure that you are more resistant to diseases you are more resistant to like uh, parasites and you are like you know you get both the best traits like sometimes like it that's the that's the whole point of microvariance like you get like these new new traits which were not there in the previous generation similarly innovation is when when two ideas have sex basically that's matt ridley's extra, exact words so when you ask me why corporates are investing so much of design thinking it's like they are getting you know they are beginning to see that whoever is winning in the market uh, are people who are designing better products and an entrepreneur right this is from peter thiel's book 0 uh, to 1 again it's like a go to book for any entrepreneur like even if you are if you are in this decade right you need to read 0 to 1 uh, because in that he talks about an entrepreneur is basically a designer so look we have already invented like the uh, the tablet computer right microsoft already came up with the tablet computer before apple came up with its ipad the the iphone was not the first smartphone in the uh, in the world it, they designed it so well that you know my grandmother she knows how to use an iphone because you know she could find that the symbols what they, what they are presented and all that stuff and uh, like she uses it exactly how she needs it but when i'm trying to teach my mom how to use her how to use a android i want to bang my head against the wall because like it's not like i have i have so many complaints so uh so design makes your life easier that's one thing and uh, but more than that uh, like it's design is something that you know it's like you're creating another person like i have like this unorthodox way of explaining what design is um and i am from somebody who's also uh worked as as a, you know a sales representative okay like i have done like some weird stuff uh you know which is unorthodox to my profession but i see something about sales i see something about design and i see something about like who we are as human beings so even when with my youtube right when i make a youtube video i'm not just making a product i am sending a part of me out into the world so uh, like it's a bit of like you know just uh, bear with me here there is a point to what i'm talking about so in sales right like sales is something which is considered a dirty thing okay like people despise sales salesmen okay like in fact uh, like uh, there's this funny uh, joke in one of these uh, old sci-fi uh, novels the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where to get rid of the sales people of the world <laughs> they put them all in a rocket tell them that the world is ending so that they leave okay <laughs> so they booted up all the salesmen out to outer space so right. so people hate salesmen but uh, what i found was people don't exactly hate salesmen people only hate bad salesmen like bad sales people they they stick out like sore thumbs like when you see them you want to run away but good salesmen right they are 
so uh, good at their job, they're invisible. They're like the predator from the predator movie, dude. Like even if they stand beside you, they're more likely to sell you this pen, like without just you know waving it around or whatever. Like um, so. So my point with design is similar thing. Bad design, you see it everywhere. So when you when you talk about design, it's just looking pretty, pretty, and all that stuff, all aesthetically pleasing. Likely it was bad design, but because you know because it's standing out, because it's sticking out like a sore thumb, right? And all you can talk about it is, oh, okay, it looks kind of colorful. So I guess that's what design is. But good design is so out of this world that you know it it just becomes invisible. People start getting used to it. There are some parts of my life in my house, like my father designed my house. So he like he he custom designed it. Like he's a civil engineer. So so there are parts of this house that are so second nature to me that you know like uh, once I stop to actually think about what my house is all about, I started to notice these small small design features, like how like my door is like this color and how the handle works like this and how the bathroom fixtures are you know put up. So good design is invisible and you don't see it. Like uh, you know and and it becomes. the new normal so similarly people in the corporate world have begun to see that you know what good design can do is it builds a habit forming product so this is i'm going to finish my rant about good design in these uh, you know a few sentences is that when you see instagram facebook and uh, all these uh, products right they are basically products and services you start to see like all the small small tweaks and design things that they have done you are out of it like you don't even see that instagram is something separate from you you are in it and uh, like it takes you a long time actually to remove yourself from instagram so so there, there is some responsibility involved that that you need to learn design so that you can understand like what kind of response you got to take because instagram what, no matter how good it is designed uh, in the end of the day its main mission is for you to spend more time in instagram so that it can show you ads so so like it takes a person like what do you really want good design to be about like is instagram only for that showing you more ads or what about like a new mission for instagram what if instagram was about promoting better art like you said right like you have a problem you have a pain pain point that you know you as an artist you are forced to like uh, cut off your artistic uh, this thing to appease the crowds uh, and uh, even i have considered doing it even i have considered in my uh, you know youtube and my instagram to cut off my art so that you know it makes more business sense so that i get more views in youtube so that i can get ads on youtube and get paid on youtube but for some reason i have never went on to do it because i i was have too much having too much fun making art so so it's it's like uh, up to you you know uh, like what's the direction you got to take and that's why design thinking is, is important so right. you know so that you can build, build better kind of products right right I hope, and, uh, hope I was not too long with this. So yeah, that that's why it's a podcast. It's meant to be long. It's yeah. meant to be you know uh, supposed to understand uh, what you're talking about. But I we we've, we've right. discussed a lot of things. We've discussed uh, design. We've discussed stand up comedy, YouTube, right. uh, dilemmas, things of that sort. So I I I thought I'll end the podcast with a on a lighter note, something that no, uh, the audience can take away. and uh, obviously you mentioned a lot of books you recommended a lot of books throughout the entirety of this podcast but i was right. interested to know if you were if you were to be uh, given a challenge or let's say if the world is ending tomorrow and you could only take one book away into your afterlife which book right. would that be and why that's kind of funny man like uh, you know you could have worded that uh, question a bit different like you could have told me that you are going to an island for 10 days and you get to only take one book so what would you take but no you have to be like no the world is ending man and, and 
Right. And no, you you get to go to the afterlife, but in the afterlife yeah. also you got only one book. So, yeah, yeah. So that's like. Uh, <laughs> so thanks a lot. But but like uh, this would be a bit of an unorthodox thing, I guess. Uh, but I think I think I I would like to have the best bank for my buck. So I, I would choose War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. Uh, like um, it's it's a book that uh, I don't know why I like War and Peace. Okay, it's about these. Uh, a family of russians back in uh, you know 1800s or whatever and 18 1800 to 1810 basically 1812 so uh, uh like but but something about the book is so attractive to me uh, like uh, it is it's 1300 pages i bought that book back in 2017 uh, in internship thinking that i would read it but i never got around to read it only this year i began to read it like actually for real and uh, why why this book sounds so fascinating to me is because uh, there was this war correspondent okay uh, he's a journalist you know during a war back in world war 2 this was when uh, germany had invaded uh, excuse me yeah yeah sorry yeah when germany had invaded russia and um, there was this reporter called vasily grosman and vasily is okay something about russians is that they come up with some really good writers i don't know what's going on there like the cold must be like giving them like extra writing abilities or whatever but uh, vasily grosman uh, like he decided he he was he is jewish by the way so if he gets captured by the germans he would not be taken as a prisoner of war he he would be shot you know shot on sight so um, but he still went off to the war uh, war front to report on what the life of russians uh, they are facing and vasily grosman took uh, war and peace along with him everywhere he went like when there were down times he used to like pick up random pages of the book and read it because it's it's like uh, he loved that book so much that uh, he 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 wanted to pay tribute to it so he wrote another book called life and fate which is um, uh, like which is basically uh, a book when just to give you like a small background war and peace is about when france invades russia and okay. vasily grosman's book life and fate is about when germany invades russia in like okay. it's set in the world war 2 so so like it's it's like an interesting uh, you know comparison between how life was like for the russians who spent like 100 years gap between invasions so so i was like okay like vasily grosman is such a cool guy i mean i admire vasily grosman for the way he writes and uh, you know he and he admires uh, war and peace so much then there must be something in war and peace that i need to check it out so so i i i'm going to i'm still not finished war and peace i'm still in 80% of war and peace Uh, there is still like 400 to uh, 500 pages remaining and once i finish the book i think i'm going to read that book again just to know what what is go- what is going on and the book has really captured my attention so to answer your question what is a book that i would take you know or when i when the world is ending and i have to go to after life with one book i'll probably choose war and peace there you go perfect perfect uh yeah so i think we'll end the podcast with that uh, it's been yeah, it's been a interesting conversation like one of the reasons why i do these podcasts is because first i like talking to new people and the perspectives right. uh they come with are things that i never thought about so a lot right. of these things which you've said like all a lot of things regarding comedy a lot of books that you've recommend, recommended already uh it's beneficial to me and i'm i'm very hopeful that you know a lot of the ones watching the podcast as well uh they'll take right. something away from this as well so thank you guys for joining once again and uh, before we end the podcast is there anything you want to tell the audience hey i just want to tell you that you know you're starting out uh, you know youtube channel when you're 20 man that's actually remarkable 
I wish I had started this when I was 20, huh? Like, I think by the time you're 25, you should have like, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, 300,000 plus subscribers or maybe more. So, uh, yeah, like, like I, you know, you, you started on the right, uh, you know, time. So, I, it's just about, you know, keep producing. Like, I, I'm really right. seeing by, you know, just don't stop. I just, just never stop, okay? Like, right, right. Uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff, uh, you know, for, uh, for you to like, see. So, cool. Right. That's, that's how I'd say, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So thank you guys. Again, once again, I've told you thank you a million times. And by the way, I've received a lot of love throughout the course of these three podcasts I've done so far and so many more I've scheduled as well. And uh, y'all seem to be loving it. Thank you all for the appreciation and the love. I Like I said, somewhere throughout the podcast, I leave all the things to Mohit's channel, Mohit's, uh, I guess, Instagram page and things of that sort in the description below. Do it. Yeah, do check him out, show him some love and uh, I will see you all again in another episode. Until then, uh, take care.